my history know I just I have a habit of um, falling off things and there's no guardrail here there, there's not uh, that's where's my safety person Where, where's my brother you need you need you, you got to because people like me we just we fall and and um, if I do fall and I'm laying down there just pretend that you know I'm being spiritual um, all right and it'll be okay no blood no foul I don't have any uh, really horrible stories about Steve, I just don't. Um, not because there aren't any, but because I repressed them all. Um, so I had this twitch, and so I had to do that. But um, it's so good to be back here again with you. I cannot believe that it's been 12 years. Isn't that about how long it's been since William and Bridget have been married? Isn't they? Wow, they're an old couple now. Um, but the last time I was here, because I was on my crutches, because it was you know, not long after my accident, and so it's been a long time, and that four-year wasn't there. And when I came this morning, um, I walked in there, and I was just amazed. I was blown away by it, and I know you're not supposed to covet. I know that's wrong, um, but how dare you tempt me? <laughs> it's your fault, not mine. Repent. Um, so no, it's beautiful. What you've done here is, is amazing. Um, just to see what um, not only structurally you've done, but what you've done throughout the community in ministering to others. Um, one of my best memories, and I have so many of them, was when um, we went, I got to speak in the prison with you guys. That was, that was awesome. I love that. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of great memories. And since it's been so long since I've been here, um, some of you, you look great. You haven't changed at all. Others of you, man, you've gotten old. And I, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Dan, have you looked in the mirror lately? You know, you've changed in those 12 years since we've seen you. And I know I, had, I used to have like really platinum blonde hair. Um, when I had hair, and, and then it's gone, and I, I had this um, washboard stomach, and, and now um, I've got this beach ball belly thing going on. <laughs> and, and here's the crazy part about that, though. Um, recently, and I don't, I don't know if it's like my age or something, but I thought, you know, it'd really be cool is to like get a, a tattoo of a beach ball on my whole belly. <laughs> and no, wait, I'm not done. And, and then go to the beach, right? and have my family bury me in the sand and have this like straw out and so the, the beach ball sitting right there in the sand and, and these little kids would come up and like grab the beach ball and then I would just come up out of the sand and just scare the life out of them, right? It's weird, I know. It's, it's those repressed memories that... Um, but then I thought that, yeah, that's probably not good because I'd have an angry mob um, after me for terrorizing children, so um, I decided I'm, I'm just gonna do something different for that, like golf ball or something like that, I don't know. But, uh, so, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, change. We change, don't we? I mean, it, it, we've all changed, for those of you who know me and I know you, over, over the years, and, and life's all about change. And as I was um, praying and seeking the Lord about what I was going to speak about this morning, and, and um, when I found out about a week and a half ago or something, there, I just couldn't get the word out of my mind, out of my heart, change. 
because we all go through it. And, and the cool thing, you know, you talked about the heart this morning. Did you know that research is now finding out that our heart actually has emotions and memories? It's called cell cellular memory. Because you know like when something happens and your heart hurts? Because our hearts, they're finding out, have memories. They have emotions. I mean, how amazing is that? How cool is that? That I love it when, when I say, you know, that, that science is proving God in a lot of research that's coming up. But we all change. We all go through changes in life. And, and God just put this, this word change on my heart. And because some here today, I think you might be facing change that's, that's consuming you. There's this decision that has to be made and you're wrestling with it. And perhaps it's, it's causing this angst, this anxiety, or, or perhaps this change is, is making you so excited you can't wait to get going. Because um, change can be exciting or terrifying or both at the same time. Can it? I mean, we're excited one moment, we're terrified the next because we have to, I have to do what? It's unknown. And we have that, that mixture of emotions and that mixture of feelings. Heraclitus, which I'm sure we all know, is the Greek philosopher who coined the phrase, change is the only constant in life. Isn't that, isn't that true? Change is the only constant in life? I know, it, you know, Ben Franklin, death and taxes, but um, change. And then the, uh, the other... Um, great philosopher, the, the immortal words that he has given us. He's an, an English philosopher um, by the name of um, uh, David Bowie. That's it. <laughs> Ch -ch -ch changes, you know. Time can change me, but I can't change time. And that's not the real lyrics, because the real lyrics says time may change me, but I can't trace time. And I had no idea what that meant. And David's no longer with us, so I can't ask him. Um, but that's true, right? Time changes us. How many of us wish we could go back and change something? Every one of us, I'm sure. Every one of us have that moment in life that we wish we could go back. But this morning, we're going to see how every moment in life, no matter if it was a, a positive change or a negative change, God used it for His purpose. God used it to transform us and perhaps other people through us. Change can be hard, scary, lonely, uncertain, and painful, whether the change seems good or bad. You can't start even in Genesis and go through and read Revelation. I mean, you could read the first chapter and the last chapter of the Bible, right? And what is it? Change. The entire Bible is about change. The course of humanity was changed by Adam and Eve because of the choice they made. Middle East history was changed because Abraham decided to leave his comfort. To leave everything he knew and to just go. He didn't know where he was going. I mean, how about that? Many of us, we've, we've transferred jobs or locations and we knew where we were going. Imagine God says, just go. I'm not going to tell you where, just go. I mean, you talk about a change that's terrifying. 
the Hebrew slaves felt the change of being in captivity to freedom because Moses made a decision. He made excuses too. God, I can't do that. I can't speak. All right, well, your brother will speak for you. Just go. Esther changed the mind of a king which saved her people from genocide. The course of humanity who was lost in sin was changed by Jesus sacrificing his life on the cross. You can't read through the Bible without seeing change and we can't look at our lives without seeing change and we're all in this process of change because you look in the mirror and every morning many of us go, oh, that wasn't there before. But here's the thing, the God who never changes, changes everything he touches. The God who never changes, changes everything he touches. That means if we say that we have been touched by God's presence and power, the proof is a life that is constantly changing to become more like Jesus. We can't stay the same if we are being touched by God. Because the God who never changes, changes everything he touches. Again, look throughout scripture. Look in your own personal lives. Look at what you were pre-follower of Jesus to now. There was change involved. Yeah, how many times do we get comfortable in our faith? How many times do we look and we think, I'm not really changing anymore. I'm not really being transformed anymore. What's going on? I love that saying, um, when, when things are not changing in our lives, when our relationship with God isn't going how we think it should, we need to stop and realize um, who is the person that actually moves. It's not God. What if I told you this morning that all change is good change? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul doesn't say here that all things are good. He doesn't say that, does he? All things are good. No. He says in all things God works for the good. You know, death is isn't good. I'm around death. I'm a, I'm a chaplain at a large hospital. I'm around death. I've forgotten how many people I've, I've watched pass from this life to the next. Death isn't good. A child that is stillborn, that's not good. Loss isn't good. Pain isn't good. All these things the enemy pours on our lives isn't good. Broken relationships, that's not good. Um, last Saturday, a week from yesterday, I got called, uh, Paige, to go into um, trauma room one. And as I went down there, uh, there was a gentleman that had been brought in and he um, had a, a cocaine overdose. And, and so when I got into the trauma room, there were so many people working on him. And what had happened in this overdose is his heart stopped and he was seizing uncontrollably. 
and he stopped breathing. So they had to put him on life support as they did the compressions, as they injected all kinds of things in him, as they stuck the Narcan in him over and over again, thinking, well, we don't know yet what it is. And they're drawing all this blood and, and doing all these things. And, and I knew it didn't look good. And so my job is to liaison between the family and, and what's going on in that room. And, and so I, I can't give the answers that the family wants. Is he going to be okay? What are they doing to him? And my response is, well, that's, that's um, for the medical people to come talk to you. I'm just here to take care of you. I'm just here to go back and forth with you. Um, but I knew it wasn't good. I knew this family was going through dramatic change at that moment. I knew that the children of this family was wondering, is my life going to be changed forever? Because I often see that. I often see the devastation. I often know what's coming next. And so the doctor came in and the, the doctor told the family that I can't guarantee you they're going to pull through this. And the wife was beside herself and the one daughter that was there was very stoic and, but you could tell what was going on and, and so they allowed um, the family to come in and this was after they got everything settled down. They actually had to um, inject him with something to, to paralyze him because he was seasoned so badly and they needed to get the CT scans and the x-rays and, and so when we went in the room the, he was calm and on life support his blood pressure though still for an hour was 258 over 174 um, and we prayed and I knew this family was facing changes that, that will affect the rest of their lives and so then I was on again Monday night and I looked up where this patient was in the room and, and as I prepared myself because you know, of course the wife was hysterical and I didn't know how she would be and, and I was preparing myself what I was going to see with him um, being on all these tubes and respirator and everything else they had him on and, and I walk in the door walk around the the drape that they had pulled and here's this gentleman sitting up in his bed talking and eating dinner. You can't make this stuff up. I mean I was smiling face to face because I'm used to the opposite. And the wife says to the husband, this is the guy who prayed for you. And he was like, oh man, you know, thank you. And I thought, God took a situation that was completely hopeless, lost. This family was thinking about the change of how are we going to live our lives without dad, without the husband, without this. And all of a sudden, God did an amazing 180 degree change in that man's life that the doctors couldn't explain. So in a moment, in two days, this is two days, I saw the change of a family preparing for death and the change of a family celebrating life. You see, that quickly, not always, but that quickly, God can take a change in us, a change in our life that we're thinking, oh man, how am I going to get through this? And all of a sudden, He shows us and we're like, wow, okay God, I'm sorry for doubting. What if when we're faced with a difficult change in life, health, job, relationship, fill in whatever it is that you are facing at this moment or what you may be facing in the future. 
Because change is always going to happen. We can't control it. Whether it's good or bad. But what if we looked at it from an all, in all things God works for the good perspective? I mean, that alone transforms everything, doesn't it? It may not immediately affect the outcome of what we're facing, but it will definitely affect our attitude, our outlook. You know, they tell, studies show that patients who are going through very difficult things, going through very difficult health problems, whether it's cancer, whether it's the trauma that I went through where I was told I would never walk again, um, they are telling us that your attitude will dictate your recovery. And I talk to nurses all the time. I talk to doctors all the time. The people that have this outlook that says, I don't care what they say. Christian or not. It's greater when, when you have the faith and you know God's behind it. It's, it's our attitude. It's our outlook facing the change. How we think about it. The, our perspective in it transforms and changes us mentally, emotionally, relationally. Hannah Hanard in her book, Hind's Feet on High Places, says, As Christians, we know in theory at least that in the life of a child of God, there are no second causes. That even the most unjust and cruel things, as well as all seemingly pointless and, and undeserved sufferings, have been permitted by God. Not caused. Permitted. By God. As a glorious opportunity for us to react to them in such a way that our Lord and Savior is able to produce in us, little by little, his own loving character. Now, how many times have we faced change or something's happened in our life and we pause and we go, Wow, I responded just like Jesus. <laughs> right? Some of you chuckle because, yeah, you're like, I'm being, I'm being transparent here. Whoa. Usually we go, oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I can't believe that I had, uh, had thought this was going to be the worst and God turned it around to be the best and this change was amazing. But most of us don't do that, right? I mean, some of us do. Some of us are wired that way. But to be transparent, to be honest, you know, here, here's... <laughs> Here's my thing that I've always had a problem with about Christians, is we, we, we really have never been transparent, have we? We've never lived the honest life. We, we, we want to have people think that we don't have stuff, but uh, we all do. We're all broken in need of a Savior. You know, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. And that excites me. I mean, that's just like, yeah. <laughs> because then it's not about me, is it? It's about him. It's about me going, wow, God, I couldn't do that on my own. I'm a guy who, you cut, I cut myself shaving, I pass out. And here, you know, I, I'm in this trauma room seeing people, you know, shot and burned in fires and all kinds of stuff. And now I'm just standing there going, and they don't have to, you know, put me on the gurney next to the person anymore. That's amazing. That's not me. That's God.
when change happens, anticipation is a natural response, isn't it? We either have that excitement of anticipation of something good's coming or, or when we hear bad news, we have that an anticipation a lot of times if we just go to the worst case scenario. And, uh, when you're at the doctor's office, what do they do? They don't give you the, they give you the worst case scenario, don't they? Anticipation can have the same feeling you get when you're sitting in the dentist chair waiting for a root canal without any Novocaine. <laughs> can it? Sometimes anticipation is just like, oh, you're tense up. I mean, you can see it. You're just like all tense and your jawline's got like muscles and the dentist is like having to pry your mouth open. Um, but sometimes anticipation's like that. Or anticipation can be like a child laying in bed on Christmas Eve. So excited that they can't sleep. I mean, waiting to run to the Christmas tree and begin to rip open the presents. Um, and the first one you, you rip open, and some of you will get this, you find this onesie bunny <laughs> pajamas, right? You know, anyway, Christmas story. Right. Instead of the official Red Ryder carbon action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and, and this thing that tells time. See, those are two very different types of anticipation. We feel them both, and, and what's weird sometimes, we can feel them at the same time. Have you ever had that? Were you excited yet scared? I mean, when was the last time you couldn't sleep because you were all excited about going to the dentist? <laughs> I, if that's you, you definitely need prayer after, after service. <laughs> For some, the change you're facing is exciting. For others, it's agonizing. See, I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I don't have any inside information from my brother or my parents or anything that's going on in your life. But this is what God has placed on my heart today. Whether it's one of you or all of you, it doesn't matter. God wanted you to hear this. To know that He is with you in the midst of this change. That through this change, everything is going to be okay. Anticipation of an unknown outcome can be the worst, can it? Like waiting for doctor's results. Waiting for that test to make sure everything's going okay, the treatment that you're on. Waiting to hear if you've got that job when you haven't had one for so long. Some of us are old enough here, we remember, I mean, no, we remember, we don't have to look at it on YouTube, but we remember the 1970s Heinz ketchup commercial with the Carly Simon song, Anticipation is Making You Wait. Not to say that I'm that old, but I, I, I Googled it. Um, but yeah, I remember that. And the, the, the commercial is, this kid is like waiting and his friend's like, what's the deal? And he's like, just wait, it's worth it. 
you are going to be so amazed by this ketchup. I mean, they weren't even tapping the 57 thing that you're supposed to. They were just waiting. And he was like, just wait for it. Just wait. It's going to be awesome. Just wait. You can't take a bite of that burger until you have this ketchup on there. You don't want that watery stuff that they have at most restaurants. You want the real deal. But waiting can be hard. Most of us hate to wait, don't we? I play this game, and maybe you've played it too. It's called the fast food drive-through challenge. Have you ever played this game? You, you pull into the parking lot of a fast food restaurant, and you count how many cars are in the drive-through lane. And then you pick the last car, red Toyota. And then you go, there's 10 cars. There's two people at the line inside the store. I'm going in the store. And you're standing there. And the first person is out quick. And the second person cannot make up their mind. And so you want to say, just give them a number two. I'm in a race. And I don't know how many times I've lost this game. You would think. I'm always looking at the drive through window, too. And more times than not, I go, there's that car I would have been behind. I mean, why? Because we hate to wait. And when you play the drive through challenge, you usually lose, by the way. Not always. Once in a while, I've won, and I've high-fived the people at the counter. Not really, just, you know, typical preacher hyperbole or whatever the word is I want to use. Um, Isaiah 30, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Anybody besides me, like, God, I'm sorry. This is my time, not yours. I'm going. Right? Usually doesn't turn out very well, by the way. Usually we go, don't, and wonder... Why'd I do that? Until the next time we do the same thing. We're creatures of habit. When change happens, especially unexpected change, we typically don't pause. Take a deep breath and wait for our mind to catch up with our emotions. Isn't that what happens to us? We, we let our emotions rule our decision. And we don't take that breath, we don't stop, we don't pause, we don't think it through, we don't let them catch up together and have a little conversation. And our mind tells our heart, well, last time you made that choice, remember, I was the one that suffered with the headaches and everything else because of the stress. See, we get anxious, our heart pounds, our hands sweat, our hearts or excuse me, our head hurts, our response to others becomes agitated when we try to figure out things on our own without pausing, without seeking God, without seeking the counsel of others. I love my wife. There's been a time or two she's been known to say to me when I've been agitated, you need to go pray. Right? That's a good way to handle it, people. You're not yourself. You need to go pray. Whatever's going on, work it out. Then come back. 
Why? Because we're facing something. We're facing a change that's got us being who we're not. As you face whatever change is going on in your life at this moment or in the future, and the anticipation of anxiety is speaking to you, David says in Psalm 27, 13, and 14, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. See, the thing of it is, this waiting, it's not a passive waiting. They that wait upon the Lord, he will renew. You know, and, and we think about it as, as passive. We think about it as, I'm going to pray and just wait, and God's going to come and take my hand and pull me out of my seat, and everything's going to be okay. The actual word is wait as if a waiter, a good waiter at a restaurant, does not wait for you to find them where they're hiding. You found the hiding spot. Oh, right? A good waiter in a restaurant sees the person and comes in and says, how may I help you? What can I do for you? What can I get for you? See, but most of us, when, when we pray and wait on God, we, we expect him to do everything and us nothing a lot of times. Yet God is always faithful to do his part. Always. God is always faithful to do his part. But guess what? He expects us to do our part. I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, I had this prophetic word over my life and it, it never came to be. It never came to fruition. And, and um, I'm frustrated. How long do you think I have to wait? And, and I stop and I pause and I begin to ask them questions. And I ask them about the prophetic word. And, and it's about going out and touching people's lives and feeding people and, and doing great things for people. And I said, well, what have you done for that? Well, nothing. I'm just waiting for somebody to come ask me. Okay, God did his part. He gave you this preferred future. He said, you're going to go out and you're going to feed people that need feeding. Why are you waiting? Why, not, why aren't you at the grocery store shopping? See, that's this waiting that God is talking about. God is saying, I'm doing my part. I'm taking this change in your life. I'm taking what's going on in your life. I'm telling you a preferred future in it. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do with it? Well, God didn't. That's because you wouldn't. See, it's a partnership of working together with God. What would have happened if God told Billy Graham, I'm going to make you one of the greatest evangelists of all times, and he sat in his house waiting? We would have never heard the name Billy Graham. Why? Because he did his part, and God is asking us to do ours. Some of you are facing or have faced change, and you've passively waited on God. And God is saying to you, I put in my order, where is it? When are you going to go get it? Others, we don't want to wait, we want to work, right? We go past the, okay, God, I'm going to, to be still and know that you're God. I'm going to get direction, I'm going to get vision, and then I'm going to work. Many of us 
Hello, me. <laughs> Many of us just want to go. We want to work and we want to say, God, catch up, don't we? And then we go, ah, that one didn't work out either. I wonder why. And God's saying, because I was trying to pull the reins back on you, because you needed to, to get a clear vision, a clear plan, you needed to, to get a partnership with others around you, and you just wanted to go work. You didn't even look at the blueprints. You built this thing that I don't even know what it is. I'm not going to even have my dog in that thing. But that's some of us, right? We're just like, I want to work, I want to work, I want to work. I don't care if I'm called to do it. I don't care if I'm gifted to do it. I just want to work. You know, that, that's trouble too, by the way. See, when all this happens, our anticipation can turn to devastation and disappointment. And we begin to question God and ourselves, don't we? When either we're waiting and we don't see something happening because God says um, that waiting involves working. In other of us, God wants us to wait and get the clear vision and get the clear plan and we're so far off ahead that we haven't even seen the plan and we start doing it our, our own ways. And what happens? We get discouraged and disappointed in ourselves and even in God at times. See, change brings anticipation, which brings sometimes excitement or anxiety and, and waiting, though, is supposed to bring clarity and responsibility. Waiting brings clarity and responsibility. We wait. I love what Nehemiah did when he came to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He didn't go right in there and start picking up stuff and he prayed. He waited. He planned. I mean, how else were you going to build the walls of a city with all the opposition in a matter of a month. Clarity and responsibility bring hope of a preferred future. Romans 5, 3 through 6. This is the New, the new Living Translation. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials or change. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. You know what's awesome, too, is Christ always comes at just the right time. Always. His timing's never late. It might be early to us or late to us, but not to him. Zophar, one of Job's wonderful comforters, said this in Job 11:18. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. See, some of you here today, because of the change you're going through, um, you've thought, man, is there hope in this? Is there hope in this preferred future? Is there hope in what seems to be a dead end? Is, is there hope in this? And, and that's what I love about 
this scripture with Job because can I tell you something? Job went through a little bit of change. Well, maybe more than a little bit. He lost everything he had plus his children. But God did leave him with an understanding wife who encouraged him all the time, right? You know, you know what? Mrs. Job, we don't know her name, Mrs. Job gets a bad rap. Yeah, she said to her husband, curse God and die. But she went through the exact same loss that Job did. She was feeling the terrible changes and pains of life because she not only lost everything they owned, she not only lost all their children, there was her husband sitting, scraping the pots out of boils with broken pottery. We need to give that woman a break. I'm just saying. How many of us have said things in our marriage we were like, ooh, shouldn't have said that, right? So I'm just here to make things clear, give her a break, all right? I'm speaking for her. She can't speak for herself right now. In heaven, you can talk to her, all right? <laughs> See what she was feeling. Hope is mentioned 18 times in the book of Job. That's how important it is. That's how important it is for the changes you're going through. Romans 15, 13, this is what I write in the front of our book. Um, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my question is this morning, what changes are you facing? What changes are positive, they're exciting, yet they're bringing anxiety? You wonder, okay, what next? How's this going to plan out? How's this going to look? How's this going to affect me? How's this going to affect my family? I mean, it looks good on paper, but I still have this angst. I still don't know. And some of us here today, you might be going through a change that seems devastating. Um, most of you know my story. Uh, December 2006, I fell off a roof about 20 feet, shattered my left tibia plateau completely. You know, when the paramedics walk around the corner and they say, oh, this is bad, um, don't do that. Uh, and my right heel, two vertebrae in my lower back, pulmonary embolism, told I would never walk again, perhaps shouldn't have lived with the embolism. Um, I have what I call now um, my new normal. It's not my old normal. I can't do the things I used to do. It's my new normal. Went through a lot of change. I could pout and complain. I could say, God, why didn't you? And every time I do, God says, because the change I have given you, this new normal, has caused you to want to minister to people in traumatic events in life in the hospital. I would have never got to pray for that guy last Saturday and seen that miracle if I didn't face what I faced. Because I'd still be passing out, cutting myself shaving. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. All change God can use to be good change. Even when it wasn't good when we were going through it. And that's what you have to remember. At this point in your life, when maybe you're struggling, that's what you have to remember. Okay, God, what's next? What's coming out of this? 
And it might not be today. It might not be next month. It might not be next year. But we wait. And we don't passively wait. We actively wait for God. Worship team, would you come? Here's what we're going to do this morning. And, and when the worship team comes and begins singing this, I want you to stand. And, and if, if you need prayer this morning, if you're going through something, if this message ministered to you this morning, if, if you've got that, whether it's an exciting change, but there's this, this still angst about it, or, or whether you're going through a difficult change, and God's just wanting to give you reassurance that I'm right here with you. I'm going to give you direction. Listen to me. Follow me. Don't get ahead of me. Don't lag behind me. Stay with me. Don't believe what people are telling you. I was told I'd never walk again. I was told I shouldn't have lived. God had different plans. I'm walking, but you can beat me in any race, believe me. We played baseball with the kids last night at the park at, um, at a family picnic, and I, I thought, wow, that ball's two feet away. I'm not going to get to that. <laughs> but that's okay. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I'm just not this scrapping athlete that I once was. But I do like to play with the beach ball. But as they sing, please stand, come, and, and I'm going to turn this off because it's a private moment between us and God. I don't announce it. But if you feel led, just go ahead and come.